Welcome to the podcast from Church of the Nazarene. Please subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. And you can also search for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. We also invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 on our YouTube channel or Facebook Live. You can also join us in person at 9 or 1030 for our English services or 1145 for our Spanish service. We also invite you to join Celebrate Recovery every Monday night at 630. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you in this new year. Uh, I don't know if you got to tune in uh, over Christmas to our Christmas morning uh, online service, but if you did, you you got to see uh, a clip from Bo and Brianna and Corbin Cassida, great uh, family in our church. And they shared uh, that morning about gifts. That's what we're talking about throughout the Advent series, about Christmas gifts. But I was struck by something that Bo said. I was struck that while he was sharing about the gifts of Christmas and about receiving the greatest gift of Jesus, he, he made the connection about living a life with purpose, that who we are and how we, how we love God should show up in our actions, in how we live. Take a look at this. We are Bo, Brianna, and Corbin Cassida. Um, Corbin is too young and has not yet experienced a Christmas or gotten any Christmas gifts yet. So I know it's sad. So um, I wanted to tell you a little bit about one of mine. So back when I was younger, I told my parents just a couple of days before Christmas even came that I would love to have a canoe. <laughs> and lo and behold, on Christmas morning, I walk out on the front porch and there is a red canoe sitting there. We were all so excited. Um, Upon analyzing it, found Did it a few. Did it have some dinks on it? Yeah, there were some scratches and dings on it, and I believe it was accidentally drugged behind Santa's sleigh. Um, but it was a great gift that we enjoyed for years. Yeah, and I guess too, when thinking about the the gift that Jesus is at Christmas time, for me specifically, um, I think that gift became real to me in about seventh grade. I, well, not about seventh grade; it was seventh grade. I remember it very clearly, and. I was just very convicted about who I was, um, the way I was living, the way I was, the, the person I was being around my friends versus the person I was being at church and with my family. And I just remember, and I trust that that was the Holy Spirit really convicting me and saying, you can't be both. Uh, you can't sit on the fence with me. Like this amazing gift that I've given you, this amazing uh, gift of salvation, of Jesus coming at Christmas, but then eventually dying on the cross as well. Like, you can't be lukewarm to that, and you can't sit on the fence to that. Like, you have to choose either you serve me or either you don't, or either you live for me fully uh, or you don't. And so I just remember at that point, a very specific moment, just being very, very convicted uh, about that. And then choosing in seventh grade, now it's been a long process since then of ups and downs and and, and moving towards sanctification. Um but at the same time, I remember at that moment that that gift was real and that I knew that I needed to, to be real about that gift. And it's changed my life forever. And it gives us hope um, when things aren't good, which they aren't good all the time. Um, but it gives us hope. And, and that's one of the beauties of this season. And, and I guess really how it's changed our lives. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Did you hear what he said? Either you live for me fully or you don't. And even as a seventh grader, he remembers that, that tension of feeling the, what I believe should impact how I live. 
And the truth is, we have a mission as a church, a mission statement, and we're really diving into the beginning of 2023, diving into our mission statement to understand these key questions. Why are we here? I mean, like us, Church of the Nazarene, this church, why are we here? What are we, who are we called to be? Right now, in these days, who are we called to be? What's our purpose? What does it look like when it's carried out? What does it mean to be faithful? I don't know about you. When I stand before the Lord one day, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful. Sir. So what does that mean? What does it mean for, for me? But what does it mean for us collectively to be faithful to God in the days in which we're living? We have a mission as a church, and, and maybe you thought a mission statement was just something that gets put on a wall. Maybe you're part of an organization, and they have a mission, and it's just like something you have to have because you have to have it, but that's not us. At Church of Nazarene, we have a mission because we believe that who we are and what God has called us to be, we, we need to be focused in these days on that. And In fact, our mission helps guide us. It helps remind us of what is critical, of what is important. And so we are beginning this year focusing on our mission. If you got to join us last week online or in person, we began by focusing uh, on this statement. You'll see it on the screen. It's not a new statement for us. About three years ago, we went through the process of, of church leadership, staff, pastor's board, of articulating our mission in this statement, transformed by God to bring hope to others through Christ. Uh, if that's new to you, uh, that's our mission. And, and hopefully you hear it often. Hopefully you see it in action often around here. If you've been around here for a few years, though, you, you've probably heard that before. But that's not just something we put on the wall. It's not just something we say every now and then. This really does guide who we are and what it means to be faithful in the days in which we're living. That is our mission. So last week, we began. We began looking at this mission, and we began with the first word in that mission statement. It made sense to me that on the first day of the year, we would begin with the first word in our mission statement, and that word is transformed. Transformed. That, that we believe we cannot accomplish the mission to which God has called us to if we are not experiencing his transformation. That, that it takes uh, not just individuals, but a church, a corporate body of believers who have been transformed in order to accomplish the mission that he has for us. The Apostle Paul wrote this, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, right, to, to his image, to, to who he would have us be. That's who we're called to be. And we concluded last week with a powerful prayer. Each week in the series, we'll, we'll use a prayer to kind of guide us towards action because the purpose of this series is not just to know our mission, but to engage in the mission. We need everyone engaged. Nobody sits on the sidelines. No one opting out, but everybody leaning in a part of the mission to which God has called us. So last week, this is the prayer that we prayed. I have it on the screen. Uh, it's this, Lord, transform me by your power to make me everything you want me to be. Think about that, that lump of clay. If, if you got to be here with us, we concluded with this visual of the potter and the clay. This prayer is really that lump of clay crying out to the potter. Lord, transform me by your power, not by my power, by your power to make me everything that you want me to be. Not just my dreams, not just my goals, not just my hopes for this new year, but, but Lord, you transform me by your power to make me everything you want me to be. Would you bow your heads right now? I want to pray that prayer over us. Uh, God, we believe this is a powerful prayer 
but it's not just words on a screen. And in fact, it's really not a magic formula at all, but it's the desire of our hearts. And so today, may the desire of our hearts, not just individually, but collectively be, oh God, we need your transforming power like never before. We've seen what we can do in our power and our strength. It's not all that impressive, but God, you can do all things and you are faithful. So would you transform us by your power and make us everything that you desire, God, in these days. May we reflect your glory, your purpose for our lives, God. Not just our dreams and our goals, but Lord, we place those on your altar. We are the clay and you are the potter. Mold us and make us to everything that you would have us be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to jump into week two of our series and focus on the next part of our mission. And really, really, this is the key. This is, this is all our, our, our focus should be because today our focus is on God. We are transformed by God. Everything we do, everything we do is centered on glorifying God. He is the source. He's the focus. He is everything. And as a church, that's never up for debate for us. That's central to our mission. I hope this doesn't shock anyone in the room today. That's central to our mission at Church of Nazarene is, is God. Consider with me uh, Exodus chapter 20. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to go back to the Old Testament to understand how, how central and foundational this understanding of worshiping God alone, him as the source, him as the provider. So in Exodus chapter 20, we see the children of Israel. This is a, a people that were God's chosen people. And the reason they were God's chosen people is because they were promised that the Messiah would come through their lineage. The Messiah would be a descendant of them. That's a big deal. And because of that, God makes a covenant with them, a promise with them. He's in relationship with them. And what we're going to see in Exodus chapter 20 is the Lord reestablishing his covenant. Exodus, the entire book of Exodus is really about the exodus of God's people from slavery. That they were in captivity, they were in slavery, but God has compassion on his people and he delivers them, he rescues them. And really the story of Exodus is that journey. The journey of from captivity towards the promise of God, but also that struggle along the journey of understanding what it means to be in relationship, to be in covenant with the loving God. And so today, Exodus chapter 20, uh, Moses, who is leading the people, is instructed to go up on the mountaintop, Mount Sinai, where he's going to experience the Lord. And that may seem like kind of a cool thing to us, like cool, but no, 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 to Moses, that was a big deal. You didn't just go up on the mountaintop and, and experience God. God was, was a sacred, and you couldn't stand before a holy God, right? So this is a big deal that Moses is told, hey, come up on the mountaintop, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal myself to you, and I'm going to impart wisdom and knowledge and truth to you. And so here we go, uh, Exodus 20. We're going to read just six verses this morning. It says this, and God spoke all of these words. Think about that. God is speaking. That's powerful, right? God spoke these words. Verse 2, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. We know this is the Ten Commandments, and maybe if you're familiar at all with the Ten Commandments, you're going to go on autopilot here and start reading through a list. But we're not doing that this morning because we're establishing here at the very beginning the first stipulation of this covenant between God and his people is that his people would worship him only. Him exclusively. He is God. He 
alone is God. You see it here, underlined right there. I would encourage you, underline that in your text. He's saying, I am the Lord your God. You know what that means? No one else is. No one else is God. No one else can be Lord. I, he's reintroducing himself to his people. In this covenant, I, I alone am God. And then just to reemphasize it there, what does he say? You shall have no other gods but me. He creates this covenant with his people and he declares he's not a God. He's not on a buffet item. He's not just the favorite item on the menu. No, 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 no. He is the only God. Let's keep reading verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or in earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, here it is again, right? The Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. I'm punishing the children for the sin of their parents to third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So not just, what what is it saying here? Not not just, am I the only God? But but don't create idols. Interesting, in the uh, ancient Near Near East, worshipers believed that a deity was present in the idol. Not that the idol itself was God, but but uh, it was an object where the God could easily be located. (laughs) We want to find God, we're going to find him in this object, right, that we turn to. And and God is saying, you don't need to turn to any object or anything to try to find me. You don't need those things anymore. You don't need that. Seek comfort in idol. Come to me. I'm introducing a new covenant with my people. Well, I will be your God. And he's a jealous God. And that word might freak you out a little bit, but don't let it. That word jealous just means he wants us all to himself. But he's also loving and compassionate, right? Extending his love and compassion to a thousand generations. The people of Israel in the time of Moses had hundreds of, of options for God. They were living in a polytheistic world. They had hundreds of options for gods, just like we do today. There's gods all around us, aren't there? The God of wealth, the God of power, the God of prosperity, or self-sufficiency, or freedom, or my sin of choice, or my rights, right? These are the gods that we turn to, and, and even in the church, if we aren't really careful We can claim to worship God, but have other gods that we bow to quite often. But but see, our mission, church, our mission points us to the one and only God existing in the nature of the Trinity. God the Father, the creator, the creator of love, the creator of everything. God the Son, Jesus Christ, our, our Savior, who made a way for us to be in relationship. God, the Holy Spirit, who's the comforter, who's the one who comes alongside to guide us and lead us. You might remember back in November, um, we did a series called What We Believe, and we focused on some of the articles of faith and and the church in the Nazarene, our denomination. And this is the first article of faith. There's 16, but this is the first. Article of faith number one. I don't have it on the screen, but listen to what we declare as a denomination, the church in the Nazarene. We believe in one eternally existent, infinite God, sovereign creator, sustainer of the universe. He only is God. That sounds like it's right out of Exodus 20, doesn't it? That's good news. He only is God, holy in nature, attributes and purpose. 
The God who is holy love and light is triune and essential being revealed in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is who we believe God to be. He's central to what we believe. He's central to our mission. He is God. He is holy. He is creator and sustainer. He is provider. He is worthy. He is the only one who is worthy. That's the foundation of our Christian faith, and it's the foundation of the mission to which God has called us. See, the story of Exodus, of God's people, if you were to to read that and journey through that, the Exodus story, it's really a story about the promise of God's covenant— And at times, they walk in obedience, and at times, they push back. They stray. They go their own way. In a moment, they're worshiping and praising God. You are the true God. And in the next minute, they're turning to the other gods. You don't have to go far from Exodus 20 to find the people literally making their own image, their own God that they can worship, because they're already tired of trusting in Yahweh, the true God. This is an accurate depiction of us, the Exodus story. It's really our story because just like the children of Israel, we're prone to wander. We're prone in a moment of faith to say, God, you are God. I worship you alone, but in the next minute to turn and allow ourselves to worship, allow our affection for other gods. When I think about that, I think of the God uh, most prevalent that I see maybe in my life and in those around me as the God of control. It's one of the most prevalent that I see around us. I I can say that I worship God, but then I I want to be in control. If things start to get unpredictable or out of control, I I don't know what to do. No one wants to feel out of control, right? We talk about that often, but our world is really saturated with people trying to cope with this feeling, feeling out of control. And so what does it do? It causes destructive behaviors, right? Because I feel out of control, I have to compensate some way. I have to self-medicate. I have to overspend, overeat. I have to seek stability in relationships because I feel out of control. Because instead of trusting and worshiping the true God, the one who created me and sustained me and knows me and loves me, I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping this God of control where I, I have to call the shots. Can you relate? I was thinking of the story this week that I heard of Daniel McCoy. Uh, Daniel loved to play football. In fact, he was so good that he received a scholarship to play quarterback at the University of Texas. In fact, he was so good that as a freshman at the University of Texas, he won the starting job as a true freshman. It's pretty unprecedented. He went on to have a decorated career, four years the starter at the University of Texas. He set more than 30 team and NCAA records, uh, including the most career wins by a quarterback. His final season in 2009, uh, his team was undefeated, 12-0, much to his leadership and, and his skill. They got the opportunity to play for a national championship. So talk about success. Talk about one of the most decorated college careers that you could ever have. And here he arrives at kind of the pinnacle, an undefeated season, a chance to play for the national championship. In the first drive of the first quarter of that national championship, he injures his shoulder. And and despite everything that he does on the sideline, everything the trainers can do, he's unable to re-enter the game. He watches from the sidelines as his team loses the national championship, his final game he'll ever play at the University of Texas in college football. Afterwards, there's a press conference, 
And as fate would have it, he was assigned to have to be there to answer questions, even though he played a few plays, even though he didn't even get out of the first drive or the first quarter, even though his team lost, he has to sit there and answer questions about the national championship game. He was quoted as saying this, I would have given everything I had to be out there with my team. But then he said this, God is in control of my life. I know that if nothing else, I'm standing on the rock. When another reporter asked a follow-up question specifically about who is the rock you're referring to, Daniel, better known as Colt McCoy, began to sing these words. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. In the epitome of what had to be disappointment and feel like failure, Colt McCoy had an understanding about who was really in control of his life. What a beautiful story of worshiping the true God and not bowing at the altar of a desire for control. The truth, the truth is who we are and what we believe. We're called, we're called to live worship of God alone. No one else and nothing else in our lives. Jesus reminded us of that truth. It's well known in Matthew 22 that Jesus was asked, he was being trapped of, of all of the law and prophets. What's the greatest command? If you're familiar, you know what Jesus said. He replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. It's the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets hang on these two commands. The fact that Jesus was willing to highlight these commands over all the others is powerful in and of itself. But, but think about the truth. Jesus really didn't even have to list the second command, did he? Because if we are truly loving him with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind, if we're truly loving him with all of that, everything else in our life will line up according to his will. Think about that. If your purpose and your passion and your heart is, God, I'm going to love you. Nothing else, no other gods. I'm going to love you with all that I have. Then, man, everything else in my life starts to line up and according to his will. If loving him with all. Church family, I want you to know today that we cannot reach others with hope until and unless we are being transformed. And we won't be truly transformed until he takes his rightful place in our lives. Maybe um, last week you heard the message of transformation, and that's a message of hope, and that's a message of promise, and that's a message, that's a January 1st kind of message. Yeah, I'm going to be transformed, but, but now we come to this the second week, and we realize that maybe the transformation that you desire, that you're desperate for, that you've been praying for, isn't possible because you've allowed other gods and other things to take the place of what he alone, the place that he alone desires. We can't really be transformed if, if we aren't allowing him to be the potter and we are the clay. 
um, each week, again, we, we are, we are going to conclude with a prayer. And this is, it's not a magical pray this and this, but, but it's, it's helping us take action. It's helping us respond. It's helping us engage in the mission because this is not just about knowledge. It's about action. It's about response. So today I want to I offer the prayer on the screen that I, I think today, if you resonate with this prayer, it can be the birthplace of, of God doing a transforming work in and through your life. It's a simple prayer. That's the point. It's a prayer that maybe you would write down. Maybe you snap a picture of it on the screen. Maybe you would place this prayer before you throughout the week ahead. It's a prayer of honesty that just says, God, I need you. Think about the power of that prayer. Maybe even underline that word, you. God, I need you. I need you more than anything else. I need you more than anyone else. I, I, I need you and you alone, God. I need you. Some of us, that's a prayer of vulnerability, right? Because that means I can't do it on my own. To need him means I need more of you, God, and less of me. I can't figure it out. I can't do it on my own, God. I need you. I'm going to stop worshiping at the altar of me and what I can do and my success. God, I need you. You alone are worthy of my worship and my life. I promise you today that if your heart is not just to pray that prayer, but to mean it, that's a declaration. That's a commitment that God will honor, that he will bless. You want to be blessed by God today? Pray this prayer. Make this the prayer of your life. God, I need you. I need you in my marriage. I need you in my finances. I need you in my home. I need you in my career. I need you in my future. I need you in my failure. God, I need you. You alone, you alone are worthy of my worship, of my life. Nothing else, no one else can have the place that you alone deserve. That's a prayer that will transform your life. That's a prayer that, that allows God to come and be the potter as we are the clay and he molds us and shapes us into everything that he would have us be. That's a prayer that God can bless personally, but corporately as a church, as we pray that prayer collectively, that's a prayer that God can use. That's a church that he can use. God, we need you. You alone are worthy of our worship, of our lives. I want to worship you, God, more than anything else. Remove, God, remove any false gods from me. Remove any worship of anything else but you from my life. I need you. I need you. God, you created me. You have a plan for me. You have been faithful. We sang about that, right? And I declare today, God, that you will be faithful. Today, will you surrender? Will you turn from anything else and trust him alone? Thank you so much for listening today. Go ahead and subscribe to our channel for updates and new episodes. And if you have any questions about our church or ministries, go ahead and email us at info at cotnaz.org.